And as they are making their way there, if you would, grab your Bibles and let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 together. Ezekiel 36 this morning. You know, there is a Latin phrase that has been dominating the news uh, for some months now. That phrase is quid pro quo. Now, a quid pro quo is defined as a favor or an advantage granted or expected in return for something. In other words, it's a string, it's a gift with strings attached. And the reason I bring it up is there are a lot of people in churches that view salvation as a quid pro quo. They, they think that, well, I have to be a good person or I have to do good things in order for God to save me or to love me or, or, or to bless me. And so they make salvation about what they do. And the Bible paints a very different picture about it. And it's something that we need to grasp and kind of wrestle with uh, this morning because really salvation is kind of like your birthday and getting a birthday present, all right? Every year on the day of commemorating your arrival, people give you presents. But why? I mean, what did you honestly do on the day of your birth? I mean, other than cause a lot of pain and maybe cause mom and dad not to like each other for a little bit, you didn't do anything. So why do they give you presents on your birthday when especially mom did all the work? Because it's a way to show how much they love you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with how they feel towards you. And in the same way that the gift of salvation, the gift of God sending Jesus to this earth has nothing to do with us and our merit or our favor but rather everything to do with who God is and the promise that he has given. In fact, the one big thing this morning is this, that only when we see our true condition will we see our need for God's gift. So let's look at it together. Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, the context really starts in verse 16, but we're going to focus on verses 24 to 27. And so I'm going to ask if you can and would, if you'd stand as we read God's word together. Ezekiel 36, beginning in the 24th verse, it says, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also I will give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the service that we've already been able to have. And Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, God, I pray that it would not be my words or my wisdom, but that, Lord God, you would just fill me with your spirit and your power from on high simply speak the words that we need to hear this morning. 
And Lord, I pray that as your word is proclaimed, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, only when we see our true condition will we see our need for God's gift. We entitled this message this morning, The Greatest Present. And we want to talk, take a little bit of time to talk about God's gift to mankind. And I want to do so by, by calling to your memory the time that you have spent shopping over this last month. Or for those of you that are ultra planners, the last six months that you've been getting ready for Christmas. Or for you procrastinators, the shopping that you're going to do in the next couple of days. I want us to think about that for a moment. Because we have spent hours thinking of just the perfect gift. We drive to the the stores or we shop on various websites. We sit in traffic. We dodge people in the store. We stand in long lines only to drive back home. And then when we get home, now we have to get just the right wrapping paper. And we carefully wrap it. Now we do this for every present, for every person. Why? Because we love them. And we want them to know that. That we didn't just pick out the first thing that we came to at whatever store we could find. But we thought about them. And we carefully selected just the right gift. And we made sure that we wrapped it just right for them. Because it's a genuine expression of our love for them. But let me ask you a few questions about it, okay? How much time did you spend picking out the present for your office's Secret Santa gift exchange? Probably not a whole lot, right? You, you, you probably didn't spend hours trying to figure it out. You didn't carefully wrap it. You probably found a bag with a tag and said, done. Why? Because, well, they don't mean as much. They're just somebody that you have to do out of obligation. Well, let me ask another question. How long did you spend picking out a present for someone who doesn't like you? Probably even less, right? I mean, we, how many of us bought a present for somebody that doesn't like us and maybe we don't like them? Probably none of us. Why? Because in a way, we probably consider them an enemy, right? I mean, isn't that what you call somebody who talks bad about you behind your back? Somebody who ignores you? Somebody who may disobey you? Or somebody who acts like you don't even exist? We don't spend time thinking about them and buying presents for for them. And that this is the point. I want us to contrast how you and I view our shopping for Christmas and contrast that with the gift that God has given us. This is what makes God's gift so incredible, so amazing. Uh, So what Paul described in 2 Corinthians 9 as indescribable. Because God gave Not just a gift, but he gave it the gift, the highest possible. He gave his son for people who don't love him, for people who don't obey him, for people who often act and live as though he doesn't even exist. And Paul says in Romans 8 that God did not spare his own son. How will he not also freely give us all things? Like Paul's point is if God would not withhold his son from an evil, rebellious sinner, do we really think he's going to withhold anything good 
from his children. He is the ultimate gift giver. We need to understand this morning that salvation is a gift from God. It's what Paul says in, in Romans 6, 23. It is not something that man has thought of. It is not that something that man accomplishes. I want you to look with me, if you don't mind, starting in verse 24. Again, Ezekiel 36. Look at all of the I wills in that statement, in, in those, those verses there. Hey, God is taking the action based on himself and his promise. The gift is not based on Israel. It's not based on Israel's action. If anything, Israel is showing that they don't deserve God's grace or love or mercy. And certainly they don't deserve his salvation. I mean, if we were to go back to verse 16 and go all the way through the, the text, we would see what, what Israel was doing. It says, moreover, the Lord of the Lord came unto me saying, this is verse 16, now 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of an unremoved woman. Wherefore, I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land, for the idols wherewith they had polluted it. The picture of Israel here in Ezekiel is this. They were living in idolatry. They were disobeying God's word and they were defaming God's name. Now, here's the thing. The, the sinful behavior that Israel was committing didn't just affect them. It affected the other nations around them because it gave them a wrong picture of who God was. If we go back early in the Old Testament of the law, we see that God chose the nation of Israel not because they were big and strong, but because they were few and they were, they were really weak. And he said, and I'm going to choose you as my people. And, and through you, you are going to reflect to the world what I'm like. So God chose Israel just based on him to reflect himself to the world around them. When the world looked at Israel, they were to see God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And it was to draw the world to himself. But because of Israel's persistent idolatry, they gave the wrong picture of God. Because the picture we see later on around verse 20 or so is the world is looking at how God is interacting with Israel. And the picture they get is that he is vengeful and vindictive. The picture that Israel is painting for the world is that God is just sitting in heaven waiting on them to mess up so he can pounce on them and, and judge them. So God is going, listen, your sin is not just affecting you, it's affecting those around you because they don't understand who I am. They didn't see all the grace and the patience that God had with Israel. But what about you and I? I mean, are we not prone to idolatry? Are we not prone to putting more importance on people and things than we are our relationship with God? Are we not also prone to and guilty of claiming to be a Christian while living the opposite way of how Christ calls us to live? See, while this is specifically talking about the nation of Israel, church, I want us to see this is really talking about us. 
Okay, I mean, we, we are Israel. God has lavished his grace on us through Jesus Christ and through many other blessings. And yet, if we're really honest, a lot of times we do a poor job reflecting him to the world. And so this text is about us. So in that light, let me ask another question. You go to your office and they're doing the Secret Santa gift exchange. And you see a coworker give another coworker a present. And instead of saying thank you, that coworker acts like it's not a big deal. Or, or maybe even worse, they act like they should have gotten that gift and probably a better gift. Would you be excited if you drew that coworker's name next year in the gift exchange? Probably not. Why? Because they don't deserve. You don't appreciate what you have. By the way, let's be really careful because with every finger we point out there, notice three of them are pointing right back at us, right? See, Israel was ungrateful for the blessings that God had given them. And while it's really easy to pick on Israel because it's recorded all all the stuff that they did, what if it was recorded what you and I did? I mean, can we just be honest? Do we take God for granted at times? Do we kind of forget all of the blessings that he gives to us? You know, we we talk about how precious life is, but if we're honest, we go out and live like we're going to live forever, not like it's going to be over this fast. See, I want us to see not only our own sinfulness, but I want us to capture and be captivated by the beauty of God's gift. Because you and I, we don't just act ungrateful or sinful one day out of the year. This is who we are day in, day out, year after year. And yet God says in our text, he says, I'm going to bring you out of the nation. He says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you my spirit. And I will make you to dwell in my house. God is saying, it doesn't matter who you are. Because based on who I am, this is what I'm going to do for you. As an expression of my love. So that you will reflect my glory. I mean, if there's ever been a person who didn't deserve this gift of salvation and the blessings that come along with it, it's sinners like you and I, right? I love the question that David asked in his psalm. Who am I that you are mindful of me? What is it about me, God, that you would love me enough to save me? The Bible says that we are sinners by birth and by choice. And yet 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem because that's what he promised to do in Genesis 3 and Isaiah 7 and Micah 5. And that babe that was born in Bethlehem about 33 years later, he would become the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of of the world by dying on a cross in the place as a substitute for unthankful, ungrateful, disobedient sinners like us. And even though we didn't deserve it, this is a gift that God has chosen to give based on his promise and his character. And the thing about this gift, it's not something that he just threw together at the last minute. And we all have those, those people in our families that are last second shoppers that somehow forget Christmas is December 25th every single year 
And so December 24th, they're like, oh man, Christmas is tomorrow. I got to go find a present. So they go town uh, all over the place trying to find a store that's open. They find whatever they can. They throw it in a bag and Merry Christmas. This isn't how God did it. You see, God picked, he planned this gift. Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world. I don't want you to miss this. Before God said in Genesis 1, let there be light. He knew Adam and Eve and everybody after him was going to sin. Before the foundation of the world, God said at the right time, in the fullness of time, I'm going to send my son to die to redeem the lost to myself. The gift was planned for. Not only was the gift planned for, but the gift was specifically picked by God. If we were to go into the prophet Isaiah chapter 53, the opening of verse 10 says this, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, meaning Jesus. God could have and would have been perfectly just in requiring us as sinners to pay for the sins that we have committed. Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased God not to exact judgment on the perpetrators, but rather to take out his wrath on the perfect son of God. Jesus is our substitute. Not only was the gift planned, not only did God pick it, but God also paid for it. Listen again, Isaiah chapter 53 says, but he being Jesus, but he was wounded for our transgressions He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is laid upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. God said, I know what you're going to do. I know who you're going to be. And as an expression of my love and my grace, instead of asking you to pay the price, I'm going to send my son to pay that price for you. Because I want you to experience what you were created for. A relationship and fellowship with your creator. And this is a gift that was presented to the world. Not in shiny wrapping paper placed under a tree. But rather placed in swaddling clothes in a feeding trough. Don't miss this church. The creator of the world. Who is going to come and pay for all the sins of the world. And the world didn't have any room for him. What about us? I mean, the hustle and bustle that is Thanksgiving to Christmas. Do we have room in our lives? Do we have room in our schedules? The greatest gift ever given wasn't placed under a tree. The greatest gift ever given was hung on a tree and died for you and me. This is what God has given us. And it's a gift that would not just change one day of your life, but it would change your entire life and all of your eternity. That from the moment you come in surrender and faith to to Jesus Christ, he changes your life. And he changes your eternity. And this, as great as Amazon is, cannot be bought on Amazon. It cannot be bought in a store. 
It can only be found in loving submission to the baby born in a trough and crucified on a cross. But how? How can we receive this gift? I think the text would tell us two things. We're going to sum it up in two words. The first word is this, come or come out. Verse 24 It says this, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. This was God's effectual calling for Israel to come out of their idolatry and their sin. He's saying, I have bought you and purchased you to be different. So come out of that life. Come out of that sin. And Jesus gave a similar invitation to you and I in the world. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says this. And if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To deny ourselves means to die to ourselves. To die to ourselves means more than just to surrender our heart to Jesus. To die to myself means I surrender my heart and my life. My marriage, my family, my job, my finances, every aspect of my life, I surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wake up every single day and say, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Use it and use me for your glory to reflect you to the world. This is what it means to die to ourselves and to take upon ourselves the cross daily. See, it's important you and I understand this because there's a false teaching that's prevalent in our society and and really prevalent in our churches. And the false teaching is this, that you can come to a church service like this, that an invitation can be extended You can walk an aisle and you can say a prayer, but then you can go live however you want. Church, we have to reject that because it's a false teaching. Jesus did not just come to redeem our heart. He came to redeem our lives to be used for him. As an expression of our love and our gratefulness for the grace that he has given to us. You see... Jesus' effectual calling to us is this. It calls us out of our sinful lifestyle to walk by faith as an expression of love for what Jesus has done. I do not live in such a way to please God so I can earn salvation. I live to please Him because He has saved me. And this is what He is calling every one of us to, to come out of it. Because while God planned and he picked and he paid for this gift, it has to be stated that this gift is only for those who respond to God's calling. How do I know if I've responded to his calling? Well, it's answered in verse 27, and the word I would use would be obey. He said, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, you, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. See, proof that we have been saved is that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. Now, that's kind of a a, a weird concept for us to grasp in our minds. But it's, it's not just one to believe. It's one that is evidenced by our life. So how can I know 
if the Holy Spirit is living inside of me? Well, because there's going to be a, a drastic difference in our life. If we were to read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul says that before Christ, we would live our own life to please ourselves every day and all day. But when we come in, in faith, when we, are, when we are saved by God, instead of intentionally choosing to live for ourselves, we choose to live to reflect the glory of God and to show that He has redeemed us. And, and so, how does He do it? Well, He says in, in the text that I will put my spirit within you, but one verse earlier, He says, a new heart also I will give you. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Now, what does this mean? Well, a stony heart that, that he talks about is a heart that is focused on rebellion against God. It, it's, it, it's the person who says, I'm going to live life how I want to. The, the national anthem of hell is, I did it my way. That's a stony heart. Think of it this way. If all you and I do is eat greasy cheeseburgers and fries, what's happening in our heart? Plaque is building up, right? And we're going to have a heart attack. And so what has to happen, we have to go to a hospital, and they have to blow that plaque out. Well, Jesus needs to blow the plaque, the spiritual plaque, out of our hearts and out of our lives. And the spiritual plaque is the sin that so easily entangles us. He has to blow that out, but he's not just going to blow it out and leave you how you are. He said, no, no, no. You don't need a, a cleaned out heart. You need a new one. And this is what I'm going to give you. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart. And, and, and what it means in Scripture, when you, when you see the word heart, is it means a new desire and new emotions. In our sin, we want to live for ourselves. We want to do what makes us happy. But when God comes and lives inside of us and He places His Spirit in us, our hearts and our emotions are different. Our desires are different. We want to reflect Him. We want to live for Him. We want to please Him. Not because we're afraid that something bad is going to happen, but just because we're so grateful that He saved us in the first place. And so I think one of the things that we need to do is ask ourselves some very difficult questions. The first one would be, who am I living for? If somebody was to follow us around for 24 hours, and they were to listen to the conversations that we have, would they know who Jesus is to us? Would they be drawn closer to him? Or would they see somebody that's going, hey, life is all about me. Sunday I'll give to God, but Monday to Saturday is mine. Another question we should ask is, how has God changed my life since I was saved? Again, God loves you enough to meet you right where you are in your mess. All right, nobody here is out sin the grace of God. Romans 5, 20 will prove that. But God's love will not just save you. God's love is going to transform you. Because while he will meet you in your mess, he loves you too much to leave you in your mess. He's going to begin to make you that masterpiece that he created in the very beginning. So how is your life changing? Do I have a desire to obey God and to please Him because I love Him? Not because I have to, not because I'm afraid something bad is going to happen. Uh, if there's another false teaching we need to reject this morning, it's the idea that God is just waiting to, to pounce on us and, and to judge us as His children. 
God does discipline us. Scripture is full of that. However, our sin was judged at the cross. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not waiting to pounce on you and punish you. If anything, he's trying to purify you so that you shine the light of him brighter. Do I obey him? Do I have this desire? Because salvation without obedience isn't salvation. It's moralism. And while being a moral person, you know, that that person that says, I don't smoke or chew or go with those who do. While being a good moral person may get you a lot of pats on the back, even in church, it will not get you in the eternal presence of God. Only a surrendered heart in Jesus Christ will get you into his presence. And maybe that's why God brought you here. Because you've known about the gift, you've heard about the gift, but you've never surrendered and received that gift. See, God desires each of us to have an experience these blessings, but they are only possible as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news is, 2,000 years ago, he sent his son. He gave us the greatest present ever. He sent our substitute. And today, as a result of God's goodness and grace, he continues to offer this gift of a relationship to a wretch like us. And when we surrender in faith, We go from a wretch to being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ to being perfectly clean before him. We have fellowship with him. We have communion with him. And one day, the idea that we're walking with him always now, our faith will become sight. And we will be in the house of the Lord forever. This is what God is offering. So my final question to you this morning is very simply this. What is keeping you from receiving this gift today? Would you lay it aside and receive what Jesus Christ planned, picked, and paid for on your behalf? Would you stand as we're going to pray together? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity of just worshiping you. And Lord God, I I pray that as your word has gone out, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not trusted in you, anyone who has not surrendered to your love and your grace, that, Father, as you have called them this morning out of their sin into the glorious light of the gospel to receive this joyous relationship with Jesus. Father, as you have spoken, may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is going to open. If there's any way we can pray for you, encourage you, let's respond to God.